This year at Calvary, uh, we're talking about the fact that God is concerned for us in the sense that we live in the midst of a world that is out of control. As a result, our lives often feel out of control. Finances, relationships, marriages, school, politics, the weather, shootings in this country, rampant sin. Life feels out of control and it feels a little like we're in the midst of an ocean being battered and blown every different way by hurricane force winds and sometimes it feels like we're simply holding on for dear life trying not to fall into the water and drown. You look ahead to the coming school year or the end of summer and the start of a busyness at work or at school and it can feel overwhelming. And into the midst of this chaos, God speaks a word of kindness and of grace. And he says, let me show you how to live life in this world. So that God's power and his love and his control comes into our lives so that while everything else is spinning out of control, we get to experience some measure of God's peace and joy and goodness. And God said we call that thing godliness. To live like God is to experience God's power and grace and love in our lives. And God has given us a gift, the opportunity to live like him in the midst of a world that knows nothing about him. And as a result, to experience some level of control and discipline and godliness and holiness in this life. Last week we talked about how does that happen? How do we grow in godliness? How do we become more of the kinds of people who can live that way in the midst of the ocean of chaos that's all around us? And the answer God gave us to us last week was that this comes through the promises of God. That as God makes promises to our hearts, as he speaks his promises to us, The great future in which Jesus is reigning as Lord over all things begins to break into the present. And we get to experience now some of the joy and blessing that's coming in the future. This, of course, raises the question, but how does God speak his promises into our lives? How in the midst of the chaos can we hear that voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it? How can we hear that voice speaking to us words of hope, words of promise? I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Do not be afraid. I will rescue you. Do not be afraid. I will remember those sins no more. How do we get to experience God speaking his promises into our lives? Well, we'd like to answer that question today. So if you would, would you take a Bible? And turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1. Titus, chapter 1. It's page 965 in the Bibles the church provides. Titus, chapter 1.
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's the point. The goal is godliness, to live godly, self-controlled, upright lives in this chaotic world. How does that happen? Verse 2, in the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. It's through the specific promises of God spoken into our lives that we can live godly lives in this world. But how do we hear those promises? Verse 3, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. There are lots of different ways that you and I can hear from God. But one of the most important and the most common and the one that is perhaps the most regular and systematic and disciplined is through the preaching of God's Word. Through the preaching of God's Word, what we're doing right now. Now, I'll just say right up front, it's awkward for me to preach about preaching. Okay, now that's out of the way, so let's get on with it. What is preaching? How does it happen? Why is it so beneficial? And most importantly, what do you and I need to do so that we experience what God wants us to experience when His Word is preached and proclaimed. Please take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 4. Titus is just our launching off point. We're going to be in Luke 4 this morning, the Gospel of Luke. You're turning back in your Bibles to Luke 4, which is page 834. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, page 834, Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was, and I want you to take note of this word. You can underline it or make a mark or just mentally keep track of it. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him over the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now here in Luke 4, we have a story about Jesus preaching. And it's an opportunity for us to understand better what preaching is, or at least what it's supposed to be, and how it happens. Now I asked you to pay attention, verse 15, to the word teaching. That's a different word. The word for teaching is the Greek word didaskeo. You might hear the English word didactic in that. That's a word for teaching. Preaching, I want you to look down, verse 18. Do you see the word proclaim in verse 18 and 19? Now, there's one use of it, to proclaim good news to the poor. That's a slightly different word. We'll talk about that in a second. But after that, it says, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners... And verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see those two words, proclaim? That's the Greek word, keruso. It's the same word that Paul uses in Titus, chapter 1, verse 3. It's the word we often translate as preaching. And what I want us to notice is, is that here, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus is teaching. And in verses 16 through 30... He's preaching. Now, on one hand, he's doing both of these things in the synagogue, and so we want to be careful that we don't draw a hard and fast line between teaching and preaching. Likewise, in Titus, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is going to say, how do you hear the promises of God? You hear them through the preaching of the Word. But then in chapter 2, he's going to use the word teaching over and over again. So please, as we think about what is preaching, we don't want to draw a hard and fast line between teaching and preaching. However, having said that, they are different words. And so let me show you a Venn diagram to sort of illustrate the difference. The reason we use a Venn diagram here is to show there is lots of overlap between teaching and preaching. And to try to divide nicely between the two what Jesus was doing in verses 14 and 15 and what happens in verse 16 and following. What Paul's talking about in chapter 1 of Titus versus what Paul's talking about in chapter 2. We want to be careful not to divide them up. However, although there's lots of overlap between them, 
They are two different words, and they come out of two different worlds. On one hand, the word teaching, didaskeo, comes out of the world that has to do with explaining, informing, understanding, knowledge. Most of us, when we think of teaching, we think of classrooms. We think of teachers. We think of information. That's all part of that world. The word for preaching comes out of a different word group. It has to do with things like proclaiming and declaring and announcing. This word lives more in the world of press conferences and public statements and children bursting into the house saying, I got an A on my exam. All of that is proclaiming and announcing. Teaching, the goal of teaching in many ways is understanding. That's the purpose, that's the goal. Preaching has a different goal. Understanding can be part of it. But the goal of announcing or declaring or proclaiming or preaching is to compel a response. It's not simply for the purpose of informing. This is why when it comes to the gospel, the good news that Jesus was di died according to the scriptures for our sins, was raised from the dead according to the scriptures for our salvation, that is news that we preach. We don't ever really talk about teaching the gospel. You preach the gospel. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. It's designed to elicit a response. We are compelled to do something when we hear the news. Again, when we talk about the gospel, we don't simply say, let me teach you something. And we're not really going for mental assent. Many of us have heard the good news of Jesus Christ taught in church or in family or in school, but that doesn't make anybody a Christian. Amen. To simply listen to someone teach some things and go, yeah, that sounds fine to me. That's not how you become a Christian. How you become a Christian is the good news is proclaimed to you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. Jesus was raised from the dead for our salvation. And when you hear that announcement, that declaration, it compels a response. Yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. And when you respond, you're a Christian. This is how proclamations and declarations, and uh, uh, this is how they work. When a sale, when a company announces a sale, the point is not simply to inform you. By the way, we thought you might be interested. We're having a sale. No, the point is to compel us to come and buy something. When a truce is declared, it's not simply information. The purpose is, is to get people to stop fighting. When a child announces, I got an A on my exam, that's not simply, hey, I thought you might like to know. It's to compel a response like we should celebrate. This is the purpose of proclamations, of declarations. It's the purpose of preaching. Look in chapter, or sorry, verse, uh, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Again, we preach the gospel. We don't teach it. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus didn't show up on this earth to sit down with a bunch of prisoners and say, let me explain to you how prison works. Let me teach you about prison. And let me tell you, it's possible you might be able to be set free. That doesn't do a prisoner any good. What he came to do was to announce there is freedom. Freedom for the prisoners. Same thing for the blind. Jesus didn't gather all the blind people together and said, let me explain to you how blindness works. This is your eye. This is how it works. This is what happens. And let me tell you, it is also possible that God can heal people and give them sight. What he does is, is he shows up and announces, may your eyes be open. And the response is, something happens. Same thing to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came and said, God loves you. And that's not for information's sake only. It's to compel a response. Be free. So preaching is related to teaching. But it pushes in the direction of an announcement, a declaration, a proclamation. And the goal is to compel a response. Please don't draw a hard and fast line. I've just been teaching you about preaching. So don't draw a hard and fast line between them. But understand that when we're talking about hearing the promises of God, there is an aspect in which it happens through the declaration, the proclamation, the preaching in which God speaks his promises, declares them to our hearts. And the goal is to compel a response. So how does preaching happen? Well, let's see what Jesus did. He taught us what to do. He shows up in the synagogue, as was his custom. They hand him a Bible scroll, happens to be the book of Isaiah. Jesus opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61. He reads this passage. And then he declares to them, not a history lesson, not how did Isaiah feel about this, not even what was going on in Isaiah's time when this was written. He declares to them, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Now I think, how cool would that be to be sitting in that synagogue when Jesus says, this passage that we've all been waiting for, today, today it's fulfilled. He goes on and he tells a story about Elijah from the Old Testament and a story about Elisha from the Old Testament. Neither one of those are for information's sake. It's not a history lesson. He doesn't say, here's some facts about Elijah and Elisha. What he does is he tells a story from Elijah and a story from Elisha so that through those Bible stories, God can speak directly to the people of Nazareth. The point is, look, you all think you're okay because you're Jewish. You all think that you're okay because you're from the same hometown that the Messiah is from. But let me tell you, God does not play favorites. God loves all people. 
Way back when there was a famine in the land and Elijah didn't go to a Jewish person, he went to a Gentile. Same thing for Elisha. And the purpose is not a history lesson. Jesus is speaking directly to the people of Nazareth into the situation in which they're in. This is how preaching works. We take something from God's word, not as a history lesson, but so that God can speak directly through his word to our lives today. Now, what I think is so fascinating, what happens at the end of verse 15 when Jesus finishes teaching? What's the response? Everyone praised him. Who doesn't love a good teacher? Who doesn't love growing in knowledge? What happens when he gets done preaching? They want to kill him. It's compelling a response. He gets, they get, this is about us. He is talking directly to us. God is talking directly to us. And they don't like what God is saying. Preaching happens when you open up the word of God. And you allow God to speak directly to our lives today. So why is preaching so beneficial? There's this great verse in Numbers 12. It talks about Moses. God says, When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. Now, I don't know about you. I'll often read this passage and think, man, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if it wasn't riddles and confusing? If God showed up and spoke to us face to face. Guess what? I've got good news for you. He does. Every week. This is what preaching is supposed to do. This is why we're not up here quoting poetry. And we're not up here doing some sort of strange artistic thing. And I'm not doing interpretive dance. That can all be part of worship. But there is a time in which we need to hear from God clearly. In a straightforward, not in riddles. The great thing about preaching is God is able to take these passages. And speak to our hearts through English through modern stories, through illustrations, through examples that God can speak to our heart in the midst of a world in which we got hurricanes coming, in the midst of a world in which there are shootings going on. This is the beauty of preaching is God can, can take stuff from his word and speak directly to where we are today. Last week I talked to you about the Kalamazoo promise. I remember last week I'm supposed to be talking about promises and I can't figure out what am I supposed to use to sort of explain this or illustrate this? And I'm praying about it, and I had one thing I was going to do, and that went really, really badly. And I was praying about it, and the Lord led me Kalamazoo Promise. And I looked this up, and I'm like, well, this is perfect. This, is, this explains exactly what God did for us in Jesus. He made us a promise about the future, and that promise about the future transforms our lives in the present. This is the power of preaching, is God's able to take these concepts his word, and speak directly to us face to face. Not in riddles, not in poems, not in strange art forms that we don't understand, 
but directly, clearly, right to our hearts, the same way God spoke to Moses. So that, what do we do with this? Now, if we were just teaching, we stop here. Because I've explained to you what preaching is. I've taught you how it happens. I've explained why it's beneficial. Preaching is a message, a proclamation from God spoken to us to compel a response. But because we're preaching, we now have to talk about what should the response be. If we stop now, you walk out of the building and you think, well, that's interesting. I don't know that I thought of the difference between preaching and teaching. Maybe you walk out and go, well, that's interesting. I love the way that Jesus did this. That's all fine, but that's not the goal. The goal is how are you and I going to respond differently now because God is speaking to our hearts? Three things. Number one, come to church every week. Now, when I say every week, I understand how vacation works. I understand how holidays work. I understand how sickness works. I understand how health, all of that works. Taking all of that into account, What is our response to God saying to us, I will meet with you every Sunday and speak to you face to face and I will declare my promises to you so that you can live a godly life in this world that is out of control. Our response is, come. Come and hear what he has to say. Come and listen to him. Come and show up. Come and experience his speaking into our lives. You see, it's not lost on me. That God wants us to live self-controlled, disciplined, godly, holy, upright lives. It's not surprising that he has chosen a venue and a mechanism that is self-controlled, disciplined, regular, that enables us on a regular basis to hear from God. I don't know why it's once a week. I don't know why it's not every three days. I don't know why it's not once a month. But God has set up a system whereby you and I at least once a week can come and hear him speaking his promises into our lives. And the response is, well, come. Jesus says, where just two or three of you gather together as the church, I will be in your midst and I will speak to you. And part of the goal for the year is, I mean, Jesus, what did it say about him? He went to the synagogue as was his custom. He's saying to us, look, how are you going to make it in this world without regular, direct, face-to-face, clear communication of the promises of God? And I don't know about you, but lots of weeks I show up and I'm like, Lord, I need something. (laughs) I need you to say something. I can't make it through another week. I can't go back to work. I can't go back into that situation. I can't go home and do the budget. I can't do any of those things unless I hear something from you. And God says, no matter how the rest of your life is going, whether your quiet time feels great or doesn't feel great, whether you've been able to get out in a nature walk and experience God out there or not been able, whatever's going on, I will be there on Sunday. 
come and I'll talk to you. Come and I'll speak to you. You know, one of the great things about Sundays is you're all, we're not in control of what passage is picked. We're not in control of what is said. God is the one who says, look, you just show up and let me surprise you with what I have to say. You just show up and watch how I speak into your lives. And so how do you respond? Number one, come. Come. Every time you can. Now, again, we understand sometimes it's not possible. That's why we stream online. That's why we post sermons. It's a recognition that, you know what, there's all sorts of things going on in life. We want to make this stuff available. But nothing, nothing, nothing is going to beat showing up in person and experiencing God talking to us face to face. Number two, not only come, come expecting to hear from God. Come expecting to hear from God. I understand that every week you're not going to hear the topic you want to hear. I understand that none of us are going to show up and have God speak to us powerfully every week about just the thing we wanted him to speak to us about. I know as well as you that on Sunday morning, it is a cacophony of distractions. It's noisy, it's kids, it's difficult, it's crazy, it's distractions, it's spiritual warfare, it's temptation, it's all the things you got to do, it's all the stuff that comes up, it's all the people walking around, it's all the weird things that guy on the platform's talking about. I get all of that, but the point is we come by faith. God has promised, I will speak. And you may show up and you may go, I don't really like this book of the Bible. I don't really like this passage or I don't really like this topic. Trust me, I didn't look forward and circle this week and go, oh, we get to talk about preaching. I think that's going to be awesome. But God has a word for every one of us. That's his promise. And so we come by faith. We come saying, okay, Lord, in our heart of hearts, Lord, I'm super distracted this morning. Lord, I'm not interested in this topic. Lord, this isn't a passage that resonates with me. Lord, I got so much on my mind. Lord, I'm actually really hungry and I'm thinking about what's for lunch. But we say, please, Lord, by faith, I'm here. I at least got here. Please, will you speak? And so we come expecting to hear a word from God. Because the amazing thing about God is he takes all of our failings and all of our shortcomings and all of our sins and he simply works through all those things to communicate to us what it is he wants us to hear. So come every week. Come expecting to hear from God every week. And then number three, come ready to respond. Come ready to respond. Isaiah says, the Lord says in Isaiah, my word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. This is not simply a Bible study. We're not here to gather together to learn information. This is not a classroom. This is the church of the living God. Jesus is building his church. And he says, come and I will send my word to you to accomplish its purpose. And the crazy thing in my mind is there can be thousands of us here in the morning and God can send his word into each of our hearts to accomplish different things. 
at the same time. Come ready to respond. The Lord might bring you here this morning to say, you know what? I've only ever been taught the gospel. I've never had the gospel declared to me. I need to respond. I need to do something. I need to believe. I need to accept. If that's what God is communicating to you this morning, then respond. Accept. If God brought you here this morning to say, hey, look, you've been playing fast and loose with church. This is not just something that I kind of assigned to keep you busy until Jesus returns. This is my chance to meet with you, and you've not been taking it very seriously, and you've not taken it very seriously for your family. What's the response? The response is, Lord, I'm sorry. If you came this morning and you're like, you know what? The Lord has been speaking to me about the fact, the craziest thing, God shows up every week and talks to me. And then I remember, I went through this morning when I got up and prayed, and I remembered different sermons that the Lord used powerfully in my life. And I went back and I thought, that's crazy that I even remember anything anybody said from years ago. Maybe God brought you here this morning to say, isn't our God amazing? Isn't he amazing? Your response is supposed to be, I praise your name, Lord. I praise your name. Maybe the Lord brings you on a Sunday morning because he wants to change your behavior. Then change. If he brings you on a Sunday morning and speaks to you because he wants you to know something you didn't know before, then learn the thing he's trying to tell you to learn. But the goal is to respond. We do not want to be just simply hearers of the word. We want to be those who do it. And if God said, all we were doing was teaching, and we all walked out of here this morning knowing something more than we knew before, well, then we'd be okay. But God said, what you need, what I need, transformed life. <laughs> I don't know about you. I do know about you. You and I cannot survive out there with knowledge alone. All the information about Jesus will not help us. What will help is to be like Jesus. And when that tidal wave hits, when we get laid off from our job, when the boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with us, when we get cut from the sports team, when we get assigned the teacher that we don't like, when we're the teacher who gets a classroom that nobody would ever want, when any of those things happen, it's not a bunch of information that will get us through. It is our connection with God to say, but the Lord told me on Sunday morning not to be afraid. God promised he wouldn't leave me or forsake me. The Lord has shown me that he is for me and not against me. That will get us through whatever is coming this week. And so if we don't come, or if we don't come with any expectations, or we don't do anything when God speaks to us, all of this is for naught. And so God says, look, I know what it's like to live in this world. <laughs> Jesus says, I've lived in it. I know the chaos. I know the sin. I know the difficulty. I know the fact that you could be the strongest Christian and just one word of bad news would wipe you out. And so God says, I designed the church so that you can come week in and week out.
so that you can hear from me, so that I can speak my promises into your life, so I can counteract the lies. We sang that song, Reckless Love. There's no light, there's no lie, he won't shine his light on. This is when he does that. There's no mountain he won't climb up. This is when he does that. All week long, we've been told we're worthless. All week long, we've been told there's no value to us. All week long, we've been told that we're sinners and we have nothing. All week long, we're told that if we don't have enough money or enough beauty or enough power or enough intelligence, we're not going to make it. And God says, come and let me tell you what I think of you. Come and let me speak to you, not in riddles, but face to face. Through Jesus... By the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have it better than Moses did. And God says, I am with you. And when you gather together, I will be present. And I will speak my word into your heart. And you will know that I love you. And you will be transformed. And you will live godly, self-controlled, upright lives in this present world. While we wait for the blessed hope, which is Jesus' appearing. Let's pray together. Lord, it is amazing to me that for 2,000 years, week in and week out, in every language known to man, around the world, you have been proclaiming truth to your people. That you have taken broken, fallen, sinful, finite preachers, And you have simply caused your message to be proclaimed through them and in spite of them. That God, you have met with your people week in and week out. Lord, you have spoke truth that has changed the world. Lord, you have brought people into your sanctuary who had no hope and gave them hope. Lord, you brought people who did not know you into your sanctuary and you spoke the truth of the gospel to them and they were transformed and saved. God, who is like you? Thank you, Lord, that we have these great and precious promises and that you communicate them to us each and every week. Forgive us, Lord, all of us. We've all underestimated what it is that you're doing here on a Sunday morning. Lord, we all have despised the preaching of your word in one way or another. All of us, Lord, me included, have thought it's just simply something we've got to do. This rote exercise we've got to go through because we've always done it. Lord, thank you for the reminder that this is our chance to meet with you face to face. And so God, in your forgiveness, accept our praise and our glory. Lord, there is no one like you to show up on a Sunday morning and to speak to thousands of hearts in different ways and in different means. God, only you can do that. And so we praise you and we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.